Imagine you had a business and you hired someone who is the worst possible employee in the history of the world. He would saunter in about 1.30, maybe like check his email or not, do something for half an hour, go out for a martini, come back or not. You give him a project to do and there is very little chance that he will do it at all. And if he does, it will be so mangled beyond recognition that it'll do much more harm than good. Just someone who is not only abysmal at his work, but is willfully, blatantly abysmal at his work. Just someone, like, everything he does is a slap in the face to his long-suffering employers. <clears throat> what would you do with this kind of employee? I ask you this because I find myself in this situation currently. I'm not speaking about my work at St. Albans or as a priest, but as a human being, I am a stinker. It's very frustrating to me. I have been given one job to do. Just one, my, my job description is one sentence. It's just, be the image and likeness of God in the world. So all I'm supposed to do, my raison d'etre, all I was created for, was when people experience me, they know the holiness of God, the love of God, the goodness of God. And how do I go about that work? I come in about 1.30, maybe check my email for maybe half an hour, I go out for a martini, come back or not. I'm not very good at this. And it's not because I'm not able, you know? On my job description, there's a little part that says duties and skills, and it's one word. It's love. It's love God with heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. My eight-year-old has the skills. My three-year-old has the skills. Our Australian shepherd, Ida, has the skills like in enormous measure. <laughs> and furthermore, I know what my life would be like if I was living a life of love. So the biblical concept of love, agape, as the word we hear over and over and over again in the New Testament, this is not butterflies in your stomach. This is not warm fuzzies. This is not like the people around you, like God, feel Twitter-pated. This is strictly an action word. So loving God is not, I have a generally good disposition towards God. Loving God is making the time in your life for the love of God. It is never missing worship on a Sunday. It is making time every single day to pray, to hear God's word, to sit before the love of God and be transformed by the love of God. That's what the love of God looks like. And loving your neighbor as yourself is not feeling about as good about your neighbor as you feel about yourself. It's addressing her hunger with the same alacrity that you address your hunger. If you're like, man, I'm starving, I have to get a sandwich right now, realizing that when your neighbor is starving, she also has to have a sandwich right now, and you're the one to give it to her. It is addressing people who are sick, people who are captives and prisoners, people who are lonely, with the same quickness that you would want your own sickness, your own loneliness addressed. I know that if I lived this life, things would be fantastic. I would be like St. Francis Part Two. You know, I would just be like a wash and just sort of joy all the time and running through the flowers and so forth. It sounds great, I just don't seem to have the time for it, you know? I have a lot of other things going on. 
I have people that I really want to impress. I have stuff that I really want to get. And then when I get the stuff, I have to deal with all that stuff and remodel that stuff. And then eventually I have to get rid of all that stuff. That's a lot of it's time consuming. I have my own hopes and dreams and fears. And I just don't have the time to love God and love my neighbor. Or if I do, it's just a little kind of teeny, that 30 minutes of email checking that I do. It's that little teeny tiny part of my life. So I know, and you know, what one should do to this type of employee. It's not necessarily like tortured until he pays his last penny, but it's certainly like pink slip time, you know. Maybe a nice little severance package, but you're out of here, you're done, you're toast. And yet, every time I come to my senses, in church, kneeling by my bed, in the silence of my room. Every time I come to my senses and I say, oh Lord, what the heck am I doing with my life? I'm just chasing after wind and I could actually be serving you, following you, doing something meaningful. How does God respond? Infinite mercy, infinite grace, infinite forgiveness. That's all he's got for me every single time. Knowing how badly I messed up and knowing with his perfect foreknowledge, how badly I'm about to mess up again like 20 minutes later. It's still just forgiveness. So in today's text, in this gospel, we have this enslaved person who doesn't even own his own body. And he owes this master 10,000 talents. So many years ago when I was in Malawi, I went to an ATM and I withdrew, I don't know, it was like $100 or something, and I got something like 1,700,000 kawacha, you know, just like all these notes, it's like uh, And so how much is a talent? Is this like 10,000 yen, 10,000 pesos, $10,000? What is this? So a talent is not a coin. It's not a bill. It's a unit of measurement, of weight. It's about 110 pounds of gold a person's weight in gold in the ancient world. So 10,000 times 110 pounds of gold is a lot of money. It's about $8 billion in today's gold prices. So you have this guy that doesn't own his own body who owes this other guy $8 billion. You know, billion here, billion there. This is real money that we're talking about. So he goes before him and he says, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you back $8 billion that I do not have. And this guy doesn't just say, I'm going to give you a week, or I'm going to give you a year, or I'm going to give you until you die to get the money back. He says, you know what? I'm wiping out the debt. $8 billion off the books. We're square. I have mercy. I have total debt forgiveness for you. And then... He walks out of the building thinking, oh my gosh, this is the best day of my life. This is so amazing. What a generous guy. And he sees that guy that owes him 100 denarii. And 100 denarii, it's not nothing. It's about $5,000. But what does he do? He grabs him by the throat and says, I'm going to sick the law on you. I'm going to take you for everything you're worth. I'm going to make you suffer. Nobody messes with me. You can't do this. And... It's just insane. I mean, the hypocrisy is just astonishing in this text until we look at how we respond to other people. So when I think of someone who owes me $5,000, this is not like a small slight. This is not, 
the person who forgot to invite me to their wedding. This is, this is the bad boss that made my life a nightmare for years. This is that bad marriage, that bad parent, the person who cheated you or cheated on you, the member of a foreign nobility that offered to share with you $2 million if only you would give your banking account number, you know, it's, and just never showed up. This is like really bad stuff. And these are the people we're called to forgive. These are the people we're called to say, look how much I owe to God, a life of goodness and love and peace and holiness. I have done none of that. He's forgiven me all of that, $8 billion worth. And so, to this person who made my life a nightmare, I forgive you. And sometimes you may say, I just don't have it in me, you know? I think of that person, and I'm just filled with bitterness and frustration and anger. I just haven't forgiven them. And so for you, I have very good news. That's not what we're talking about. Like biblical love, apphi in Greek, biblical forgiveness, it's not an emotion thing. It's an action thing. So biblical forgiveness might mean your emotions are still swirling around and making you crazy and you feel bitterness. Who cares? You pray for that person. And not just I pray that they wouldn't be a jerk anymore, but I pray for their health, for their joy, for their happiness, for their peace. You are kind to that person. If you have an opportunity to feed them or clothe them, if you have an opportunity to say a kind word to them, to do good to them, that's what forgiveness looks like. When they come up in conversation, withholding the remark that you know you want to make, and if you have nothing to say that's nice, not saying anything at all. Does this mean that when the axe murderer barely gets away, you know, almost murders you and then doesn't, that you have to go over to his apartment for dinner the next night and risk getting murdered again? Of course not. This doesn't mean that you have to put yourself in the same danger, but it does mean that when you see them, you have to look and think, ugh, that terrible employee, you know? This is someone who has really fallen short of being the image and likeness of God in exactly the same way that I have. It's humility. And out of that humility, kindness, love, peace. And after years of doing this, sometimes your, even your emotions catch up with that. And some of that bitterness and that anger and that frustration just goes away. All of this is big stuff. It's a big job description. The Christian life is tough. And in fact, as our colleague says, if you try and do it on your own, good luck, buddy. It's not going to happen. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so our job is not to become superhuman. It's not to become super loving. It's not to become incredible through sheer willpower. It's opening ourselves to the work of God within our hearts. It's getting out of the way of God's Holy Spirit. It's not being obstacles to God, but being willing partners with God for our salvation and the salvation of everybody in the world through love, through peace, through holiness, through joy. And that starts with prayer making time each day for the love of God. And once you make a little bit of time for the love of God, once you do a tiny bit for the love of neighbor, if you give God an inch, 
God will take a mile. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, miracles will happen in your life. Amen.